Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walk Magazine. My name is David Walker, the editor, bringing you an update of the magazine and an episode of The Literary Whip, which I will get to in a second. So let me just quickly go over uh, something I want to do with the magazine and a direction I want to take this in um, and talk a little bit about what what's the plan um, because things have been a little erratic and um, inconsistent and so I just want to sort of change that. I, I just sort of want to be a more consistent force in here. So here's here's my plan um, for this month and then I'll talk about for the future. So this month what you are going to get is basically a lead up to a preview for the 2017 Audio Chapbook Contest winner, uh, That Manuscript, The Lunatic's Left Hand Man by Elliot Khalil Wilson. I want to give you a preview of that um, with everything, with the music and everything that we have, what we produced for the Audio Chapbook, um, because I, I think that it's it's good to sort of uh, present that and sort of have have you guys have an opportunity to listen to it. Um, and so what I'm going to do before we get to that preview is we're going to hear a poem from each of the finalists. So in that um, in that year, there were I believe four other finalists that made it um, to that list and that we had for final consideration. So we'll hear one poem from them, hear them talk a little bit about their work, and then at the end we'll hear um, Elliot Khalil Wilson's um, you know, sample of, of, that, of that book that is now available on our website. That's what's happening this month. But for the future, I want to try to do this where, where every week um, you get a little something. So... Um, whether that's an interview or whether that's a poem or a story or anything like that, I want something every week to come out because when I originally thought of this magazine as a marriage between a podcast and a literary magazine, um, I really wanted to make it that immediacy of, hey, podcasts usually come out in a week um, and and that's kind of what I wanted, a consistent stream of literature. So, um Hopefully we can we can sort of do that and and believe me I don't want to water down my acceptances to just give you a steady stream of it. That's why it's going to be like little bite-sized pieces here and there, um, which means that you'll probably hear less of me and more of the literature, which is more or less what we should have anyway, uh, in my opinion. So that's what I want to do with the magazine, uh, and that's what you're going to hear from this one. I. Uh, to do this, I also am, am going to announce throughout this month um, different themed monthly issues. So uh, I'm going to come up with prompts for, for the months, and they'll probably have to do with, you know, the history behind that month or anything like that. Um, and I will put the, I will basically announce those um, themed issues, prompts, uh, later on in the month, and that will help. Uh, provide some stuff because you know more submissions will be great uh, for that and so that's for the future um, and and what we have I also have the winner of the 2018 contest that well I will announce later this month as well 
National Poetry Month. I want a chalk full of, of poetry for you. Um, so that's what we have coming up this month and beyond. Today, the literary whip. Um, so our friend uh, Lisa Quintana uh, at Zoetic Press has this amazing podcast that I actually listened to um, when she puts it out on my own, and I was thinking, hey, this would be great. Uh, previous editor Joey Gould actually had an interview with her, um, I think a couple years ago at this point. Um, and, and basically what it is is a conversation between editors about submissions that were close to acceptance, but for one reason the other, or the other were not accepted. So it, it sort of breaks down this barrier of when you get a rejection letter or a writer gets a rejection letter, instead of feeling like you're worthless or feeling that your work was not, uh, you know, really good or, or taken into consideration, the, the conversation sort of allows you to peel behind, uh, you know, the curtain a little bit and, and see that, that, it, it's a it's a narrow margin of what gets accepted and, and doesn't sometimes, and uh, that there is value uh, and and consideration given to it. And so I personally enjoy it as an editor to hear you know to pick to pick the minds of other editors and see how they run their stuff and and that sort of thing. And I think for writers and people who are interested in literature in general um, and this in ma- this uh, sort of community of of um, you know, literary magazines and new literature being presented and that sort of stuff. I think it's interesting to hear how editors think. So I, I, I like this. And, and this is, um, we, we had a conversation recently about uh, Lee, Lisa Mays' poetry collection um, that we sort of um, captured by, captured by calling it High Desert New Mexico because that was one of the poem's titles. And we had a good conversation about her work. Um, and uh, just the the tendencies of editors in general. So I'm just going to stop rambling, and we're going to get to it, uh, the literary whip with Lisa Quintana about Lisa Mays' uh, poetry. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you look forward to the rest of the stuff that uh, we got going on here, and I'm hoping that I can keep my, my word to you guys and, and sort of uh, fulfill this new version of the magazine that I see sort of happening here. So this month, let's uh, let's get to it. So here we go, Literary Whip. Writing stopped being fun when I discovered the difference between good writing and bad, and even more terrifying, the difference between it and true art. And after that, the whip came down. Hello, and welcome to The Literary Whip. Before we get started, we have a little treat for you today. I'll be talking to David Walker of The Golden Walkman about some pieces submitted to his press. Can I call it a press? Well, you'll figure it out when we get there. But I also wanted to say, Happy Lent. I'm Catholic, and Lent is uh, the 40 days, 40-ish days, leading up to Easter. And it is traditional for Catholics to give stuff up during Lent, give all kinds of stuff up. Probably more than 30 years ago now, I gave up red meat for Lent. I did not have 
a hamburger, a pepperoni pizza. I had nothing that came from a mammal for the entirety of Lent. And then Easter Monday, I had a bacon double cheeseburger. I have never been so sick in my entire life. And at that point, I just decided, you know, red meat isn't really good for you, and it's expensive, and there's just no reason for me to do what would be the hard and unpleasant task of reacclimating my stomach to it. So I haven't eaten red meat in decades, and no, I don't miss it at all. In fact, at this point, like not only would I not be able to digest it at all, at this point, I don't even like the smell of it. And I'm not repulsed by it. I just think it, it smells kind of unpleasant, not like something that I would eat. So, oh, well. But, you know, as I get older, it gets harder and harder to sort of figure out the kind of things that I want to give up. And they have gone from being, you know, the the normal sort of, you know, I'm giving up sugar for Lent. I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. I'm, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, they've become a little more esoteric. Like a few years back, I gave up my fear of dancing in public for Lent. I just decided that for the entirety of Lent, if there was an opportunity for me to dance in public, I would take it. And as with the whole red meat thing, it stuck. I dance in public all the time now. The best episode of that being when I was in Edinburgh last August for the Fringe and we went on a silent disco tour. So there were like maybe six or seven of us all wearing headphones and dancing around to music that only we could hear, uh, winding our way through the very, very crowded streets of Edinburgh. And, you know, most of the onlookers see us dancing together and having a good time, and they all had big smiles on their faces. A few people looked at us like we were idiots, and considering that I don't have to be dancing in public to draw that look from people, I don't even care anymore. This year, I have decided to give up my my fear of putting my own work first. I run Zoetic Press. I do podcasts. I also have a family and, you know, they, they need looking after and taking care of. And so it is all too easy for me to say, oh, you know, I've got to get the laundry done and I have to get dinner on the table. And I also have to, you know, do these five things for the press. So I'll work on my novel tomorrow. And I just decided that for Lent, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to work on my novel tomorrow. I'm going to work on my novel today and tomorrow and the day after that. And on and on like that there until Easter. So it's sort of like NaNoWriMo only a little bit longer. So, you know, I'll keep you updated on that. I'll let you know how it goes. But maybe it's time for you to look at your life and your habits and the things that you wish that you could achieve in your life and maybe give up not doing those things. So if you are ready, let's go talk to David Walker of the Golden Walkman about Lisa Mays Maze. I'm really not sure, and I apologize so much if we got it wrong, but her poetry, High Desert, New Mexico, on The Literary Whip. Hi, and welcome to The Literary Whip. I am Lisa Quintana, and today my special guest is David Walker of Golden Walkman. Hi, David. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Braving, uh, braving the weather in New England right now. Tell me about the Golden Walkman. Your journal, I, can you call it that, is, is really cool. Tell mm. me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Golden Walkman started, it has to be a few years now. I, I got obsessed with, with uh, podcasts for a while. I mean, I still am. I listen to them pretty much every day, and I have a whole backlog of, of episodes I'm still trying to get through. I'm about a month behind on them. But I, I got obsessed with them, and I was thinking uh, it would be really great if if I could have a literary magazine that, that does the same thing. I could just kind of listen to it while I'm walking or jogging or something or doing the dishes and just have some, some fresh, you know, literature out there from, from you people. I love literary magazines, so, you know, that's kind of where it came from. And so just kind of dove into that idea of, of combining a literary magazine with a podcast. And, and this sort of thing came out of it. So it's going well. What kind of stuff appeals to you? Are you more poetry? Are you more fiction? Um, a mix of both? Hmm. I would say I would say that if, if anybody asked me, I would say I'm, I slant more towards poetry, and and that's kind of what I write primarily. Just I guess for the sheer brevity of it, the fact that I can actually write it in like one sitting and I don't have to spread it out. But I I do love fiction. Like uh, I'm I'm deeply rooted in, in in loving a great story, and I like writing them too. It's just I got to find the time <laughs> the time to do it and to develop it. Uh, just just takes a bit longer than a poem at times. So I would say that I, I'm a, I love everything. I love everything that we get, anything we can get in terms of poetry or fiction. I'm equally interested in both those things. You know, as a, as a novelist, I see all of my poet friends just spinning off chapbooks like chickens laying eggs. And meanwhile, <laughs> novelists have like elephant pregnancies that are a year and a half. And, you know, we're watching all the egg chickens yeah. and going, damn it, I wish it would be faster. <laughs> I know. I, I just, I keep hearing that you uh, you do uh, NaNoWriMo and I'm just like, how? How does that even, how is that even possible? I can't even imagine that. Well, how it's possible is a lot of takeout food and a lot of <laughs> all the clean clothes are in a basket on the floor. Find what you're going to wear and I'm not putting it away. That's how that works. <laughs> I don't even have the excuse for the laundry in it, so it's that way for me. <laughs> so do you have any new calls for submissions? Like, what what is your submission process like? Yeah, it's been a little bit. I, I went and, and had two kids and then the job, and then I decided I was going to start teaching some college classes, too. So I decided I'm going to pack everything up. And so for submissions, like, I'm, I'm taking the idea of uh, a new year, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to like really get back into it. But um, right now it's a one man operation to go through the, these submissions. And right now we, we, we have general submissions for anything, anything, you know, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, things like that. But we also have been doing this project that we're trying to get off the ground more for like poetry and fiction in response to current events. I think with a, with a podcast, we could put out an issue or an episode at any time. So it has that immediacy, you know, that just goes straight out there when it, when it comes along. So I thought that would be really nice to have that. And those are called tapes from the outside. Those submissions, anything in response to either events that are continuing throughout, you know, a long time or things that just happen immediately. We like those sorts of things. Um, and we're also looking into uh, accepting submissions that are kind of themed 
for like you know the months i I haven't put that all together just yet but i I think having more more issues in in a month basically doing different things uh is is where we're looking and then of course in in the summer in the summer months we have uh, an audio chapbook contest which you know we're actually just releasing our first audio chapbook winner from the uh contest in 2017 and you know we're really excited about that and we want to try to do that every year so that's great lots of different things lots of different things that is great yeah it is it is tough to run a small press because most of them are like one or two person deals and Mm -hmm. it is a an absolute labor of love right Yeah. yeah i would say that finding the time when everybody else goes to bed or you know, these, these random moments when you have a break that you can record, especially, you know, when you're doing a podcast, recording it, the whole nother piece got to be in a, in a, a space with, you know, no noise and everything. I would love to just type it out and send it out, but I decided to make my job a lot harder by <laughs> having to record my own voice at random times when I can. Well, my podcast is in a closet, like a literal closet in my house that I have converted (laughs) into a podcast booth. So let us talk now about this submission from Lisa Mays. This is a group Mm -hmm. of three poems. So tell me about this particular submission and what things about it initially appealed to you. Uh, Yeah. So so this submission, I I love that they were connected. Like they they really... you know, sometimes we get submissions, you know, we, we limit it to about three poems uh, per, per submission in that way. And they're all over the place. Sometimes they're just like, okay, this poem's, you know, about an abusive childhood or and this one's about a rainy day or something. And they're all over the place. But what I really loved about uh, these three poems is that they really told a story and they were really uh, connected, interconnected, and they built off each other. So in that way, I, I was really drawn drawn to that. And beyond that, each poem in particular, I, I really enjoy the, the imagery that, that comes out of these lines. I think that they're, the imagery is very, very unique at times to describe this, you know, this place in New Mexico. And it's just really gorgeous language that I, I like to you know, curl up next to. It's just, it's just beautiful. So. Have you been to New Mexico? I, yeah, I actually, I actually did like a long, long time ago. Um, I have, I have some relatives down there and we went to go visit them for a bit. And I have probably the worst memory in the world, uh, I have to say. Um, so, so specifics I don't get, but I get these flashes. It's, it's literally like little snapshots that just kind of pop in. And so I see this field where there's nothing really growing on it except a couple of like green sprouts that are, you know, really edgy and sharp. Um, and I'm sure I'm generalizing here, but that's about the only image I have from New Mexico. Ah, yeah. I am from Arizona, which terrain wise is, is very similar to New Mexico. And mm-hmm. yeah, so, so all of this reminded me very much of home. Mm, great. Yeah. I'm going to say authentic. I love it. Yeah. So let's talk first about High Desert, New Mexico. That yeah. is the, the first of these poems. How would you even describe this style? It's, you know, it, it looks like free verse. The, the mm-hmm. stanzas yeah. are not, the stanzas are not all the same length. Does that stuff, no. like, how does that work in something that is spoken? Mm. So the, I, I think the good thing about the magazine that we try to do all the time is, 
is the author is the one who who recites it uh, for us. So, you know, I, I go in with kind of zero expectations. When we send an acceptance, I'm like, well, I have an idea of, of how I think it might sound, but, you know, however they present it to us is, I guess, their vision of it. So when it comes to that, I, you know, it's really, it really would be up to the, to the author to sort of give us the pacing of it and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, it looks like if I'm looking at this right now, a few of the stanzas seem to have a contained idea within them. And, and that seems to be the breaking point of, of the stanza. Other times, like I'm looking at it, one, two, three, four, five. So the fifth and sixth stanza kind of seem to go together, but they're broken up. So it's interesting how the structure of this poem is. So are there any times when you have a poem that looks good on the page, but then when you hear the author recite it, it, it doesn't work out so well and you can't take it? Mm, no, no, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever, I think it's only been one time where I've ever rescinded anything like, you know, I, this is not, it won't work. Right. And, and mainly it's because of the audio quality um, for it. But I, I guess I, I guess I look at, I guess I can look at the the goal of the magazine just to give a, give a platform for for more voices. And so if I read the poem on the page and and I enjoy it, then then I who am I to say how it should sound? I, I you know like I said I have an idea, but I want them to present it the way they want to present it. So there's been times where you know they've given it to us with music even in the background and, and I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's how they do it. And uh, so only the only deal breaker and, and it won't even be a deal breaker. I'll just ask them for a new file is, is if it's, I can't even hear it or I have to manipulate it so much that, you know, it's a whisper and I just have to like amplify, amplify. And then it just sounds crackly. Like that's yeah. the only thing that ever happens. So really you so you'll even allow for the dreaded poet voice. Yeah, I, <laughs> I will. I will allow for the you. Poet. You are um, generous indeed. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I, it's kind of like you know, it's it's kind of like I, I think of this like a kind of like a mixtape. I, I just I'm just you know there to to give you the the platform. Um, and yeah, you you want to present it that way? Go for it. Um, you know, I'll talk about the merits of the word. You, you do you, you with your own voice. I, I don't know. That's you. But, yeah, poet voice. Sure. <laughs> so going on to the second one, She is Everywhere. This mm-hmm. one is a, is a tiny bit more political, and, yes, and yes. which makes it differ from the other two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had said that you really like stuff that's tied into current events. But mm-hmm. so did that, is that part of the appeal of this for you? I would say that uh, out of I think different different poems like you know trigger different you know uh, pings in my in my poetic you know taste here. Uh, this one for sure I think was the I would say the closest one that we came to accepting for the for the point that it seemed to it seemed to be saying something like it seemed to have some sort of message that it was trying to to get across and didn't really touch on it too much in the other one. But I think the issue that I was having with the other poems, especially the first one, was that it seemed to be really beautiful language, but there there wasn't any movement to it, I guess. It it, it wasn't really, I guess, doing much more than, than presenting a beautiful landscape to me, which is fine. 
Um, you know, I love I love language for language sake, and you know, the imagery is beautiful. But I also want there to be movement in here, and, and this one does it a little bit more for me. You know, talking about the conquistadors, and you know, thinking of, of um, you know, bury any memory of that massacre turned it into fiestas, selling boss silver crosses and stolen turquoise and market sailor detectives. Oh, that's that's making a statement of some sort, and and I guess you know if you pair the imagery with a message, then that's going to set off more bells in my head um, than I'm going to like. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who really, really, really love pastoral poetry, but I mm-hmm. also feel that, yes, a beautiful image is nice, but I need something more. I feel pastoral poetry tends to be too static for me. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I when I was when I was in school for you know poetry, I think there was there was one uh, teacher we had that said, you know, it was a great question, but it was like, why this day? You know, what is like, why are we telling the story of this day or or that sort of thing? And and I guess when I'm reading something, I want to feel that urgency of like this is a story or this is something that needs to be told and it's important that it's told in this way. And so if I feel like that's a little bit missing or something like that, then, then it, then it is just a little bit less appealing to me, but it's still beautiful. Oh, that's super interesting. I had never, I had never heard it framed like that. And that makes total sense. I have the same sort of feeling whenever I read, you know, some, whenever somebody says I'm writing my memoir and I always Mm -hmm. think to myself, what makes you so special that I would want to read about you? What you better have done something amazing right. to make right. me want to read about you. And you know, exactly. there are lots of people who have done amazing things, but that better be what your your memoir is about. So, you know, kind of making making pastoral poetry that sort of thing. Why this day? What is what's the, you know, what's the outstanding feature that I need mm-hmm. to know about this particular time? I love that. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 you know, one of those gems that, you know, you, you don't, you don't remember, you don't know what you're going to remember, you know, years down the road, but when it, when they stick, they really stick. And, yeah. you know, I, I kind of keep it. It's, it's nice that way. I, I love those times when you, you are in the middle of doing something and it suddenly comes to you. I'm going to remember mm. this second forever. Right. Yeah. That yeah. is such an amazing feeling. And for, for a poem to capture that feeling would be so great. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, although I don't know how many of those moments I've had, because like I said, my memory is just <laughs> Well, I would like to think that you've had so many of them that you can't even keep them all contained in your mind. That's yeah, what I choose it, to believe. Maybe the, it could be an embarrassment of riches, maybe. That's, that's what's happening there. Yes. So where did these not work as well for you? I think if I was to if I was to go through the lines and the words and everything like that, I don't know if I would pick apart anything that that wasn't as effective. I think I think it it, it really clings on to to what I was just talking about the lack of movement in the in the poems and the the lack of it. It it, it does sort of I think if I was to break down the imagery and it, it, it some of the it's some of the ones I like the most. I, I really enjoy the imagery in it, but I, I guess I just wanted to see see more uh, of a statement with these with these poems. Jet lag, jet lag was was for me the third the third poem was really great as well because it did have that urgency of 
the urgency of like, why are we talking about this day? Because because she misses it, right? She the last stanza, sun rises, but I wish it were night. Standing on dream shores, we're longing, twist peaks and branches into memories floating on waning light. And you know, there's some rhyme scheme in there too, which is nice for a podcast. I want to I want to feel that sense of of urgency and and for these poems, there wasn't just, there just wasn't enough, I guess, of it in the poems. So, little aside, for poetry that's going to be read out loud, do you like rhyming poetry? Mm. <laughs> mm. It it really depends on how well it's done. I think it's tough to write a good rhyming poem. Um, I think when it's done well, you know, and I've heard this before from other people, um, it's like magic. You know, if it, if a if a rhyme scheme is done well, it's like a magic trick because you can't you can break it down into its its parts and you can say, oh, okay, this is how it's done. But if you really break it down like that, then it's lost. I would say that the majority of things that we publish are not rhyming, um, but I am not opposed to a good rhyme scheme where there's interesting rhyming and the you know good slant rhymes are always good and and jammed rhyming is great too and you know. Every time I hear the word enjambment, I just think of (laughs) interviewing our friend Joey Gould and him saying, I'm so into enjambment right now. (laughs) I know. Uh, I was was wondering whether I should say that word because I was like, she's going to follow me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Joey's a great guy. Great guy. I love anyone who's that passionate about what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So I get that rhyming can be can be really hard to pull off and make it sound natural. And because that's the thing, not having weird artificial forced language mm-hmm. in order yeah. to make the rhyme work. So how about yeah. how about rhythm? Mm. Yeah. So so with rhythm, and you know, I will I will probably uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of imposter syndrome with me. In terms of like, you know, because I, I teach as well, but if I'm sitting there and I'm going to say like, um, I am because hammer or anything like that, I don't get meter. Like, I just don't. Like, it's it's a thing in my brain that doesn't work and I'm, I'm sitting here and consider myself a poet and I don't understand that stuff as well. With the rhythm of a, of a poem, I, I think it, it has a lot to do with, you know, with the punctuation as, as much as uh, anything else and, and the line break when you read these poems and some lines are longer than others, they do kind of seem like they're trying to create a, a somewhat uniform line length in, in them, but it does affect even slightly how you read it. So I don't pay attention too much to, to the rhythm of it as, as much as I think it's, it seems a little counterintuitive, but even though I present it as a podcast, I really just want to love the words on the page first and then sort of, the other stuff of the rhythm of it and how it comes out and that sort of thing, I leave up to the up to the author. Um, so I don't think I focus too much on that. If if I do, it's subconscious, really. I only ever notice rhythm when it's something very specific and unique. Mm. Yeah, you know, true. that's very true. Yeah. yeah. So there's one thing that I, one point that I wanted to raise that to me as a Mexican, I found a little bit, a a little bit of a scratched record. And that is in Mm. in the poem, she is everywhere. The words in Spanish are italicized. And I'm 
I'm honestly not sure what that's about because if we go to jet lag, there are a bunch of words in Italian and they're not italicized. That's true. Yeah. You know, yeah, I do see that. Yep. Yep. I feel like that is a convention that a lot of people still adhere to, even though it's really outdated at this point. You know, the U.S. Mm, yeah. for, you know, as much as a very, very vocal minority wants to think that it's not. The U.S. is a multicultural place. And every like everyone knows what a fiesta is. Yeah, that yeah, that all of the Swedish people in Minnesota know what a fiesta is. They have Taco right. Tuesday. They drink yep, on Cinco yeah. de Mayo. That's what white people do. <laughs> so, so the only thing I don't know that that people would know is um, what an acequia is. Yeah, I'm, and yeah, that I'm it's a that it's an irrigation ditch. Oh, okay, I can kind of see it there. If I right. Look at the word. Yeah. yeah, and that's see that's yeah. a problem. If you're going to use words, if you're going to use foreign words in a poem, you need to make sure that they come through uh, in context. Mm-hmm. Context, yeah, yeah. The context is huge. Right. Yeah, I I usually, you know, when I when I see foreign language in in poems, and I hate to say it, but I lots of times, unless unless there is that context, I kind of skip over the words, and I just I'm I'm thinking maybe those weren't as important because I I can't understand them. I think that might just be, you know, uh, an issue with with me. Well, I don't. I don't think it is. And I think that I think that putting it in italics, like making it visually stand out from the rest of it really encourages you to kind of skip over it, because I I would be willing to bet in in the poem Jet Lag, you did not skip Mm -hmm. over the the Italian words because they didn't look any different than the others. So That's I true. yeah That's so you're true. sort of doing yourself a disservice as a poet if you are if you're putting words in italics. Daniel Jose Older did a great YouTube video about why we don't italicize foreign words. I will link to that mm-hmm. in the show notes because you know he he makes just such a great point that it unnecessarily exoticizes the language and the you know what that language stands for. Yeah, yeah. It's another separation. Exactly. You know, you don't want to yeah. you don't want to make, you know, people that live in the United States with you and are every bit as American as you are into others. Mm, yep. That's I yeah, I will go I'll, I'll just go out of the limb and I don't think that was the author's intention, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying for sure. I'm sure it wasn't the author's intention, but that's you know, that mm-hmm. is the result though. That's true. Yeah, it does kinda have that effect. Yeah. yeah. I also had, I felt like jet lag was a bit of a departure because it doesn't sound yeah. like, like the, the place that she is describing as missing is, the, is New Mexico. I don't know if there are mm. larches in New Mexico. She says, um, oh, yeah. I, at midnight, I, um, to see myself alone without the craggy limestone peaks and golden larch branches of the land that raised me Italiana. And is that New Mexico? I don't, it doesn't sound like it. And yeah. I don't know how huge the Italian community in, in New Mexico would be. A lot of it, you know, that sort of I, I am dreaming of someplace else agrees yeah. with the tone of the other poems. But this one, to me, felt a little bit sort of tacked on the edge there. Yeah, I guess I guess I could agree with that, because I think when I came across the Italian and, and that aspect of this poem, it, it gave me pause. 
because because the other two felt so connected in that way in, in sort of the Mexican culture. And, and then this one kind of brought in a whole new set of things. Um, and I was trying to, I guess, do the puzzle piece in my mind of how does this connect with, with this other stuff? And so I guess maybe this is fair because they're separate poems. But, you know, it, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is, this is a departure. It is a little bit um, different. And it did give me pause a little bit. Yep. Yep. I guess that is a discussion. And I, I guess I want to ask your opinion of it. The sequence of, of submissions, like the, the choices that authors make when they submit work to you in terms of which poem goes first or second or third and what order and, and that sort of thing. Do you really pay attention to that? Does that, does that influence your reading and enjoyment of the, of the Absolutely. Poem? So we, we do a monthly tiny chat book called Viable. And for Viable, mm-hmm. people usually submit like five to eight poems. And I absolutely prefer to have a set of poems that describes uh, an arc or is at least thoughtfully connected. We had one by Jane Yolen, whom I love beyond all people. And that was a bunch of poems called The Ostrich King. And they were all about essentially Donald Trump. (laughs) We had... We had a, one by a woman called Catherine Mayen, who it was called Her Small Feet, Her Red Fur, and it was all about foxes. Yeah. Having at least a good through line through all of the poems is actually important to me because I, and maybe this is just me coming from my fiction background, I would rather read each poem being sort of a new take on the theme that has been established rather than each poem standing all by itself. And I have to sort of reorient my brain with every single poem. I'm not as fond of that. That makes a lot of sense. That, that's, yeah. It's almost one of those situations where you might want to, if you notice that, maybe um, when you read through it the first time, read like one poem, then take a break and read the next poem. But that's, you know, that's also more work and that makes it difficult to get accepted. If you if you add other challenges, my rule um, is when I read poetry or prose is if I am tempted to check Facebook in the middle of reading your submission, I can't accept it. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. Maybe I'll adopt that. (laughs) So, what was your favorite part of this submission? What did you think was the best bit? Okay, Uh, so I have I have a few, but I think I'll narrow it down to this in this first poem. Uh, high Desert, New Mexico. Um, I I really enjoyed a really good, I'm not saying this is an extended metaphor, but I really enjoy a good extended metaphor or something that kind of seems to be a theme that just kind of keeps going throughout it. Um, and so in this poem, you have all this language that, that has to do with a thirst, right? Um, you have uh, in the second stanza, Limestone Valley wakes desperate to rinse Crack, uh, cracks throat and sore foot soles. Sun licks dry each leafless cottonwood. And then down more, we have uh, empty pools parched by sun's fall simmer. Drawing the day over thirsty saguaro limbs. It's just uh, like that language and, and, and using language that's all connected in that way is just like beautiful to me. I, I think if you make it work and you don't sound repetitive or forced, it just this is gorgeous, and I think she does it really well uh, in this first poem in particular. I would completely agree, and that's a thing that, that in fiction makes fiction sound more lyrical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, I really loved the last two lines of the second poem. What, what would you do or what you would do if you did not know your name? And I Mm -hmm. think that is, I think that is such a, an interesting and beautiful question, especially coming after as a person who is very aware of the history of Mexico and of the area that is kind of like the way that black people today are not necessarily connected to their ancestors because at some point their ancestry got erased. And so mm, yeah. there is that wish to really be able to connect with with your roots and where you come from and that thirst to know who you really are. And that really touches on that in such a great way. Yeah, that's a great... I, I'm not a, I'm never a really huge fan of rhetorical questions in, in poetry or anything really, but that's that's a great one. That is a great one. Cool. Well, thank you so much, David. This was really cool and interesting. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, and thank you to Lisa Mays for letting us examine your poetry submitted to Golden Walkman. And we will talk to you again in two short weeks. The Literary Whip is a production of Zoetic Press. Our theme music is Fake Turkish Coup by Gospel of Mars. Nate Maxson is our voice of Truman Capote. You can email us at podcast at zoeticpress.com or check out our Facebook page, The Literary Whip. Thank you for listening.